This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah once. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet ball. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. on welcome to the tim graham show brought to you as always by shampoo travis Bisaw, and kirshner cpas and business consultants follow them at, at ctbk45 this is the november 13th 2019 year of our lord edition of the tim graham show brought to you by ctbk with jonah bronstein follow him at lebronstein Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. You can follow him. Wait, what is yours? It's just Matthew it's Fairburn. It's just Matthew Not Fairburn. Not as clever as Jonah. At Matthew Fairburn. And our producer, at Bobby Rosati. I never give out our uh, our Twitter handle, so I don't have them memorized. Wait, let me. At Bobby Rosati. Okay. Yeah. Similar. So let's keep it simple. Yep. Yeah. All right. A Tim Graham had already gotten mine back when I joined. I was resistant to Twitter because I just thought it was a fad. Yeah. You know, it took me a little while. Can't to, blame you. Know, by the time I Good did, instincts. there was already a Tim Graham. I was still ahead of the curve. I'm talking about the very early days of Twitter. Right. I think I got in around, it had to have been 2007. So it was only a year old. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't, I, I was, I, and I started off as an observer. Like I would get on Twitter and check it out, maybe use it as a news feed, see what was going on out there before I fully joined. Would you do that with anything else? Like a new restaurant opens, do you stand outside and look in the window? Well, there's still a lot of restaurants I've never been to that are on my list of restaurants. You gotta hear, to go you gotta to. hear enough people talking about it, and then you're like, "No, oh, I'll go in." Here. I never got into Vine. I feel like I I came out a winner there. Yep. I had an Instagram account briefly because the Buffalo News wanted me to have it for coverage purposes. They had big plans on Instagram that never formulated, so I got rid of that. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never done Pinterest. I guess I just done Facebook and Twitter. That's enough for me. Yeah, that's too much. Sometimes. Snapchat. Never, never got into Snapchat. Snapchat was the thing that you, the Buffalo News wanted us to do, not Instagram. Or weren't there Snapchat stories you could tell, mm-hmm. or would they have they called yeah, something? You or could other? do that on Instagram too. You go some. You go cover an event, and if you did it through Snapchat, you'd hit play, and it would show your. You know, you're... I never figured out how that led to profit. Well, I don't think anybody did. Like, tweets can go to the story, and people can, you know, consume your content. I don't know. How, Snapchat and Instagram never really... I wasn't picking up what they were putting down. What are we picking up about the bills? What are they putting down today? As we hear Josh Allen talk about the need to play fearless should be fearless Lee actually, but there is a who has somebody has a slogan out there now. Emma, is it somebody live fearless? Live fearless. It's an it's an in, it's an insurance company. Blue Cross, I think, right? 
live fearless, which is wrong. It's live fearlessly. That's right. Anyway, so Josh Allen, he's just saying what he hears. <laughs> Do you think maybe Josh Allen has a secret sponsorship with Blue Cross? And that's why he's also... He probably just heard the commercial driving into work. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, he's he's ready to play fearless, but not reckless, he said. He's not going to be reckless. Isn't that what he's... Like, this is some new revelation. It's not as though... You know, I've seen, uh, based on social media today, some fans getting excited about this fearless aspect. Isn't wasn't throwing to John Brown deep down the right sideline on third and four, knowing that you have no more plays left? That was pretty fearless. Yeah, he's been known to to live on the edge a little bit when he plays quarterback. He runs and takes more hits than he probably should. Nobody would ever call him afraid to take a hit. It's hard to call him afraid to take a shot because what we've now counted sixteen times this season he's thrown the ball. 30 yards or more down the field hasn't completed any of them, but he's been throwing them. And I think maybe what he's referring to, and it goes back to, you know, some of the conversations we had at the beginning of the season and some of the, the ongoing conversation that seems to pop up with Brian Dable and Sean McDermott is that over the last month or so, uh, you know, when he's had this streak where he hasn't thrown an interception, it's been a real rallying cry. Until you realize that, well, not throwing interceptions is a good start, but if you're doing that at the cost of creating big plays, then it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. And that's where he's perhaps ready to flip back a little bit the other way. But I don't know that, I'm not sure it's as simple as they don't. These last this last month, they didn't want to make big plays. Right. I don't think that the there's, opportunities have been there, and he's taking them. I don't think that there's some sort of reconciliation that will be found just based on an attitude adjustment or a new way of thinking of the fine line between fearless and reckless. And so let's not get too excited. In fact, I view this with a little trepidation if I were a Bills fan heading into a Miami Dolphins game in which now your quarterback is thinking, let's just go balls to the wall, let's just sling it, let, let, forget it. Let, here we go. Uh, well, let's listen to the clip. Bobby has, Bobby has the clip. Let, let's hear what he had to say today at his news conference. This is Josh Allen. The job of the, the quarterback, obviously, is to move the ball, put points on the board, and, and protect the football. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of the year, I wasn't doing a good enough job of protecting the football. And you know, I've made that very um, important to me and understanding what that football is and, um, you know, who it represents. Um, you know, there's still some things to clean clean up as far as running the ball and, you know, not, not fumbling. But, um, you know, that, that's that's what I'm very, very much so trying to improve on in that aspect. But, um, you know, Coach sat us all down today and said, you know, play fearless, you know. So uh, to have that, you know, green light and that confidence from him still, like, you know, that, that means a lot. And um, not saying that I'm going to go out there and be reckless. You know, there, there's those are two different terms for a reason. So. Um, just being very, very aware of what's going on, but not trying to uh, be gun shy about it. What is the difference between fearless and reckless? Well, I don't think he knows. taking stupid chances, um, taking chances for chances' sake, just throwing it up there to for fun, for fun, because you don't care about the consequences. Whereas fearless is 
I think consequence is a good word. You know who was you know who was fearless, maybe more reckless than fearless. What a what a great tweet today by at yards per pass. If you don't follow him, make sure you do. Yeah, money. That was his response to the Josh Allen play fearless quote was here Leroy Jenkins. I'm just gonna go in there, lead with my chin. That's what Josh Allen is gonna shout <laughs> the first time he launches a deep ball ten yards past Andre Roberts. <laughs> A little more cinematic. How many times did that guy say that? Like an ongoing thing? No, that, it was just a viral just thing of this. That... And he goes into a room things. on World of Ro- Warcraft and got slaughtered. Yeah, right away. And, he went, <laughs> and all of his buddies are supposed to go together. It was don't... like Charge of the Light Brigade, and he went in there and <laughs> he lit up. got his junk knocked off. So that question you asked, the difference between fearless and reckless, that's it. You, you said, you mentioned a guy who plays fearless. Ryan Fitzpatrick, and also maybe reckless. That's what he's known for, right? That's why everybody in Buffalo loved him until Ryan Fitzpatrick. it wore off. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, fearless, it's nice. It's probably how you do want any football player to approach going on the field. If you play scared, you're you're not really going to play that well, I don't think, but in terms of quarterback play, Ryan Fitzpatrick could be a perfect example of this. What's really the difference between being fearless and a little bit reckless? you got to take some chances to, to get done what he needs to – the good plays come with the bad with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and it seems like that might be the case with Josh Allen. A lot of people said those things about Brett Favre, but they also said them about Patrick Mahomes when he was coming out of college. And – you know, that might be a problem, you know, trying to make plays outside of structure. That's something that has sort of disappeared from Josh Allen's game uh, over, well, basically most of this season. You remember down the stretch last year, a lot of us starting to think like, man, this guy, who knows if he can level out this roller coaster, but the highs are incredibly high. He's, you know, scrambling around, making some crazy throws on the run. He's operating probably more efficiently within the structure of the offense at times, but that part of his game seems to have gone away. He's still making some, you know, decent runs, but he's not, you know, scrambling the way that he was. And the big throws have almost completely vanished from his game. Not that he was making, I think that's another misconception. Oh, he was hitting these passes last year. Sean McDermott even said that. He'll get back to it. He was hitting them last year. He was 3-for-24 on passes that traveled 30 yards or more in the air last season. So he wasn't exactly lights out uh, a year ago. It's not like he can just – he also didn't do it well in college. So that's where you start to wonder, like, is it ever going to happen for him? Accuracy is the hardest thing for a quarterback to learn. That's not to say that it can't be taught or honed over the course of career and with good coaching. And, you know, you – you wonder how much of a detriment it was for Josh Allen to come in last season with a offensive line coach as an offensive coordinator and a wide receivers coach as a quarterbacks coach. You know, Rick Dennison and or no, wait, who offensive coordinator last year was uh, 
was Dable. Was uh, Brian Dable. I'm sorry, I'm going back to But David years, Coley but, was his quarterback. David coach. Coley being the quarterback's coach, yeah. So and Brian, his lone mentors at the position until they got Derek Anderson were A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman. And so, you know, you look at some – there's different ways to do it, and, you know, the, you can debate that up and down. It's worked for guys to jump in right away, and it hasn't for others. But to have what a lot of people consider, you know, one of the most – raw quarterback prospects in you know quite a few years at least to be drafted that high and then to be sitting here in year two saying look he's just a second year player something Sean McDermott brought up today um, which isn't you know breaking news but more so saying you know got to give this guy time well if you knew that then it's beyond fair to call into question the structure that was in place when you drafted him and the offensive line that was in front of him, how quickly you played him, and the quarterbacks coach and other quarterbacks in his room, one of which two the two guys that he walked into the room, you know, as with his as his teammates, Peterman and McCarron, weren't even there at the end of the year. That's how bad they were. And they were there to beat him. They weren't there to support right. him. They were there to beat him out. McCarron wanted his that was McCarron's first real shot at a starting job. So I doubt he was the most helpful guy in the world and I don't blame him. Peterman same thing, but even so, do you want – Peterman could have been the most helpful guy in the world, and it's not as if he had uh, a wealth of knowledge to share with Josh <laughs> right. Allen. He's probably not the, the guy you want. Josh, <laughs> this is what we did at Pitt. Yeah, Josh, this is what I did in L.A. last year, and it didn't work. So, uh, <laughs> Would you maybe, call <laughs> Nathan Peterman fearless? Yeah. <laughs> he throws those interceptions, he comes back and throws it right to the same guy. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean – that's what he had to deal with. Whereas you look at Patrick Mahomes, another guy people you know said was really raw, and you know he sat for an entire year and had you know some great offensive coaches to to shepherd him along, and Alex Smith, um, you know, to watch for an entire year. So I think if you're going to pick a guy like Josh Allen, um, you know the the plan had to be a little bit better, but still, they are where they are. As Hurricane Peter McNeely from Medfield, Mass., once uh, infamously said, uh, Josh Allen was wrapped in a cocoon of horror yeah. when it came to his rookie quarterback uh, tutelage. The most accomplished guy in that whole thing was Brian Dable, who had been a quarterback's coach for the New York Jets when Brett Favre was there and probably couldn't have told Brett Favre anything he didn't already know. Right, and hadn't didn't really have a track record of developing the position, but also didn't have the greatest pupils, but also, you know, didn't have a great track record as an offensive coordinator in general. And so, yeah, there's, there's reason to wonder, you know, what Josh Allen walked into, but I thought at the end of last year, he still seemed to come out of it. Okay. He's the type of guy who can make mistakes and bounce back from them. But the concerning trend in the last, four or five weeks is that he does seem to have a little bit of self-doubt at times, at least with the deep passes, because he mentioned after the game that, you know, he said something along the lines of, I'm not sure if I'm afraid to throw an interception and, and underthrow it. And that's why I'm overthrowing it. Well, if that's coming out of your mouth, then you probably are. Yeah, but here's the thing, too, is that. he, but he hasn't, it's been 131 straight attempts without an interception. He's not doing anything stupid with the ball on anything intermediary or short. It's not as though we're looking at 
Chuck Knobloch not being able to throw the ball from second base to first, or Steve Sachs, or whatever, Mackie Sasser, anybody else who's had, uh, you know, Rick Ankeel. Yeah, we're looking at a guy who seems to be doing okay. He's just not hitting that really long ball. It's a low percentage pass to begin with. Like you said, Matt, three for 24 last year anyway. So he's really only a, a couple of throws off of that. I mean, there's still a lot of games to be played. Uh, if he hits a couple, then he's right back on track to where he was. Um, so I don't know. I, I where I just see, I, I winced when I saw that quote today uh, about, Sean McDermott sitting everybody down and saying to play fearless now. And who else is that addressed to? Who else on the team or what other position groups on the team? Do I don't know. Not- I don't think the offensive line are pulling punches. Is Frank the Gore kicker? not hitting the hole hard enough? Uh, yeah, maybe the kicker, Stephen Hauschka. Having a, but here's the thing. guy like Stephen Hauschka, he is so meticulous with his thought process. One of the most meticulous guys, and this includes Dominic Hasek, who was known as being super – Tightly wound in a healthy way in terms of routine, uh, mental clarity, all the different things. And you've done the story on Stephen Hauschka and all the new age things that he does. I don't metaphysics or, you know, uh, what's the uh, isolation chambers and all kinds of things that he does. Right. Big into meditation, all that stuff. I don't know if I want to get into into Stephen Hauschka's head if I'm Sean McDermott. You know, like if, oh. if if I want somebody to get inside his head, I'll be like, Steve, go talk to your th- the therapist or whoever it is that you see off campus or whatever it is, sports psychologist. Go do go do whatever it is you do to get back into that place because you know, uh, defensive coordinator rah rah speech is not gonna. I don't want to. I don't want to do that for Stephen Hauschka. But you raise a good point. He's really the only guy. I mean, it's Josh Allen. It's a great question. Who else is that geared toward? I don't think it's anybody on the defense. Is I mean, the it, defense or, made some mistakes late I can in the game, of, but I can they didn't of, play scared. I can think of one more person, maybe, Lee Smith. Uh, he committed that false start against the Browns, and you don't see this too often out of an athlete. He stood up, and he threw his head back like, oh, my God. I don't know if you remember that, Matt, when he did that. I just, I was, he made that false start and Cody Ford went over and kind of put his arm around him almost. You know, so Lee, Lee Smith was like, damn it, I did it again. So maybe there's like, maybe Sean McDermott sensing these guys are starting to get a little too tightly wound. There's the aspect of not necessarily completing your passes, but the fact that the, the macro, you're six and three. You're starting to hear that your schedule is now the the strength of schedule for what's remaining is 16th in the NFL. It's no longer the easiest schedule in the NFL. You have some teams coming up that are fighting for something. The Dolphins all of a sudden have won two in a row. They're not the easy out that they were just three weeks ago, and they put a scare into us even when they were considered the easy out. Um, guys, let's not get a little too worked up here. Let's go out there and do what we've been doing that get us to six and three. Now, that said, I don't know what else was conveyed to the team in this meeting, but if, if it was as simple as that and McDermott says, happened. guys, let's go out there and have fun, whatever. But, if they're, if, but what if they're getting hammered behind the scenes of, you know, to stay on it? I mean, may, how fragile is this team? Or how, how tightly wound are they really that they might feel footsteps coming up behind them in the AFC? That's a great question because Sean McDermott was – I would say a, a little bit testier than normal at, at the end of his news conference today when asked about, you know, his frustrations with the offense. So 
you know, he was sort of going back and forth uh, with a reporter on that. It's something that you don't really see until it starts to materialize. I guess we'll find out this weekend how tightly wound they are, because if this becomes another in a long line of close, you know, difficult games that don't need to be difficult, you know, they could answer a lot of questions and get some people off their back by blowing the doors off the Dolphins the way they probably should. I know the Dolphins have won two games in a row. They're now a feisty live dog, but it's still the Dolphins. It's still a team that's devoid of a lot of talent. And you have to wonder, if is this going to be the same script where the Bills have to scratch and claw to get their seventh win of the season? What were they? were 5-1 and one and 6-2, and two, right? Yeah. They were 5-1 and one and had one, seemed like, at Could least based no on wrong. the record, one of the best teams in the NFL and had one easy victory. Now here they are, 6-3 and three still, only one easy victory. They have made them all difficult. Now Washington at the end felt comfortable, but Washington pulled within a score late in that game. So did the Giants. If you go back to that True. one, they, they made that one a little Both harder Both of those games felt, as you're watching them, the Bills are safe. Right. But they were still just one mistake away. And you talk about the missed field goals with uh, the Jets and Tennessee. And, yeah, it's uh, – yeah, we'll see how tightly wound these guys are. Not not Stephen Hauschka tightly wound, but um, I don't know. I'm trying to think we'll of another We'll see if they're one. white Dominic Hashik. No, Dominic he, he was he was a good Dominic Hauschka. There you go, <laughs> Leroy Jenkins. Leroy Leroy Jenkins was loosely wound. That guy. That's D G A F. Now that is not the the fearless you want. That's Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? Yeah, tightly wound like um, uh, like uh, Verlander in the postseason. All right, when we come back, we're going to hear from Sam Farmer, the Los Angeles Times. Great, uh, great football writer, and he covers the entire league for the L.A. Times. We're going to talk to him about the Colin Kaepernick situation. He's uh, stationed in Baltimore today. He's on his way to Kansas City because he covers the league. He's not just in L.A., so we'll talk to him about Lamar Jackson, maybe talk to him about what's going on in Kansas City, um, and uh, get his thoughts on the Bills, if he happens to have any. Uh, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis Bisson, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This show delivers. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis Bison, Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. I always get my Iron Maiden mixed up. The name of that song is... Black Sabbath. Or Black Sabbath, I'm sorry. Uh, this one is Paranoid. Paranoid. Yeah. Love Sam. No Paranoid. I was trying to get some sort of sequitur <laughs> for our upcoming guest here. Maybe a surprise song title would throw it to you. Yeah. <sighs> Farmer? Is there something farmer? Farmer's daughter? <laughs> oh, um, Mary's Farm. I ain't going to work on Mary's Farm no more by Bob Dylan, right? Mary's Farm? See what you can find there, Bobby. It's a surprise Sam with a little, when we when we let him go. 
Without uh, much delay, because he is on the fly. He is in Baltimore right now doing some Raven stuff. He's on his way to Kansas City to do some Chief stuff. Joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline, Los Angeles Times NFL reporter Sam Farmer. Thanks for joining us, Sammy. Timbo, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing... I, I can't believe you hesitated on Paranoid. That's like a... That's an all-timer. <laughs> I know, and that's exactly what I listened to. This was my wheelhouse, 90, uh, 98.5 WNCX on, uh, in Cleveland was the classic, or it still is. I think they still play the same stuff, but it was all this. Yeah. They would occasionally mix in something modern like Van Halen uh, on that station. <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, yeah, but I was, never, I was never a Black Sabbath guy. In fact, I was never an Iron right. Maiden guy either, which is why I don't. But I do know the difference between Iron you, Maiden and Black Sabbath. I get what you mean, though. Yeah, I, mean, I do know that's Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm in uh, in Baltimore. I was in Pittsburgh over the weekend and and saw the uh, the Rams lose to the Steelers, and then came here to to Baltimore to pick up a couple stories, and I'll hit Kansas City on the way home. So uh, my wife called and said it was like 78 degrees at home. But I kind of like having some brisk weather and wearing some different clothes. You can get away uh, with that because you know you'll eventually be back in Los Angeles. We just got our first exactly. big snowfall on uh, Sunday night, uh, early Monday right. morning. And this time in November, November 13th is a little early to have a snow that sticks like we've had. So we're, you get no, uh, we don't, we don't, we're not feeling you, Sam. Uh, right, right. Yeah, I know. So, but I love, I love coming to Buffalo. So. Can you tell us what you're working on in Baltimore? Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously Lamar Jackson is a really interesting and, and exciting player, kind of the it guy right now. And so um, I had a nice talk with, uh, with John Harbaugh just about this guy's football photographic memory. And he said, you know, he's got a really, this uncanny vision where – he identifies it all by numbers. So he'll say, I saw 33 and, and 31 was shading over and I didn't see 45 coming, you know, and he'll come off the field and John said, I'll go back to the tape and, and look, and he's just dead on accurate. So it's a little like a golfer telling you that on 14 he hit a six iron to, to uh, four feet or whatever. He'll be able to recount his round. And Lamar Jackson is like that. And, you know, talk to guys about sort of this guy being the right guy for Baltimore in this blue-collar town. And uh, Orlando Brown was talking about um, just how his growing fame and what it's like to go out with him and hang out with him in Baltimore and how people are reacting to him. So that and then um, Marcus Peters, uh, you know, this guy who statistics wise has done some pretty amazing things. And yet two teams have already traded him. He's like 26 years old. Um, so why, why is this, you know, one of the going, uh, going to in the uh, NFL record books in terms of pick sixes. Uh, and yet teams only like him for a year or two. And then he wears that as welcome. So, they're going to be playing the Rams in two weeks of that. And then when I go to Kansas City, I'm going to do something on Patrick Mahomes and Mitchell Schwartz. Mitchell Schwartz, the right tackle who had his consecutive snaps streak broken this last week. Um, had the, he had the most consecutive snaps in the league 
current street going and uh, in the multiple thousands, and it was broken. So anyway, um, and they play the Chargers on Monday night in, in Mexico City. So just sort of making my rounds, which I tend to do uh, during the season, and um, uh, I like this time of year. So You can read uh, these upcoming stories uh, in the Los Angeles Times if you want to follow Sam, and I highly recommend it because it's a humorous uh, Twitter feed in addition to the insights that you get from his stories, at L.A. Times Farmer. And uh, Sam Farmer is the most recent winner of the Pro Football Writer Association uh, McCann Award, uh, which is for, well, lack of a better phrase, it's for long and meritorious service. It's a career achievement award that is as close as a football writer gets to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Well, thank you, Tim. I really appreciate that. Well, I had nothing well, to do with good, it. So it was. Good time. <laughs> but I, I, and you didn't be, get my vote. <laughs> I I think I did vote for you. Well, I certainly I think I voted for you. Yeah. Uh, but I've always felt the love, buddy. It was either you. Or, no, I should. I don't want to. I think I might have voted for Omar Kelly this year. I don't remember. <laughs> I can't. I can't remember. Oh, all right. Gosh. So, all right, Sam. I, I'll get you off the hook so that way you don't have to say give any kind of follow up to that. Uh, Sammy. Yeah. Uh, Tell us your thoughts about this Colin Kaepernick situation because it comes out yesterday that the uh, that the NFL is going to host a tryout for him in Atlanta, and I think when we first found out that this was happening, it, it, we thought maybe it was coming from the Kaepernick camp that they were finally going to put him on display, and people were saying, "Well, it's a it's a strange move from the Kaepernick camp." And then we come to find out that the NFL's putting this on, and with kind, not even kind of, it's short notice, it's four days' notice. If you're an NFL team, you want to go check him out. Uh, and teams generally are going to be at the big college football games on a Saturday. They're, they want to look, yeah. they're scouting college kids at this time of year. So to put him in Atlanta on a Saturday almost is painting the whole thing into a corner. I mean, that's my take on it. But as somebody who covers the league yeah. and, and you're in the locker rooms that you've been in, and, and of course, Kaepernick played for Baltimore, maybe you, you gleaned a thing or two there. Uh, what's just your general take on this? Well, I, it feels to me, and I don't have independent verification of this, maybe somebody does, that this is part of the settlement, that, that the league has to stage a tryout um, for, for Colin Kaepernick. And so the league pick the date it's a little like having the settlement saying um you have to throw me a birthday party and they say okay um your birthday party's at 3 a.m on uh christmas eve we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna have a birthday party for you we'll fulfill that expectation we'll check that box but you know i mean who's going to be there on a saturday he said and it was kind of funny because it's like each side is putting the pressure on the other side because then kaepernick tweets I'm really excited to see all the GMs and head coaches who are there on Saturday. Like, guys are going to leave their team to go look at Colin Kaepernick. Now, I do think a lot of teams are going to send people, if only to sort of uh, cover their butts and say, we did have somebody there. An intern or the guy who normally covers the CFL. Yeah, I think they're going to send scouts 
there. Every uh, A lot of teams are going to be represented. It's my gut feeling that they will be. But I talked to a couple of, of uh, teams, uh, personnel folks uh, last night, and they said, this is crazy. I mean, the, the timing is crazy, totally inconvenient. Do it in June. Don't just have it be one player. Have it be 20 players um, who we're looking at. Um, and you know, midway through the season, you know, and you're looking at a guy to be your backup. Yeah, some teams might need a quarterback. And and guys, it was interesting because uh, one guy said, "Listen, I would not be surprised if he were to get signed uh, here. I don't. That's not outside the realm of possibility, and it, it's, it wouldn't even be a huge surprise. But more likely, it plants a seed with a team." that says, uh, you know, hey, let's circle back in the offseason and look at you again. Um, the league, by making it on a Saturday as opposed to a Tuesday, which is traditional dark day, is like thumbing its nose at, at having to do this. That's why it feels like, to me, this is part of the settlement. Um, but, you know, I had an interesting conversation with uh, T.J. Hushmanzada about about Kaepernick, and this is probably six months ago. And he said, I don't doubt that, that you stay in the physical shape, uh, although taking hits um, sort of conditions you and calluses you to play football. And, and when you haven't played since 2016 and you haven't been hit, that's a, that's a re- rude reintroduction to football. But he said, well, my question is the shape of his eyes. And that with a quarterback, if, you're, if your eyes are out of shape, if you aren't used to seeing things happen so quickly and having the game slow down, that, that's very difficult to recapture. Maybe, maybe not impossible. We've seen guys come out of retirement. We see it now with Jason Witten. And, you know, Favre reti- retired twice. You had um, different guys. You know, Reggie White retired, Randy Moss retired and came back. But uh, with a quarterback who's been out for three-plus years, can a guy get that back, or is it like running 20 miles of a marathon, walking a mile, and then trying to run again? Um, so that would be interesting and sort of – and, and two, I think in the, the revisionist history – a lot of people want to say, hey, this guy was a phenomenal quarterback. But really, he struggled a lot um, in those later years. And he, he was really tough early on and then had his ups and downs. And so what kind of guy would they be getting? Certainly a physical specimen, but are his eyes in shape? Are his eyes up to speed? We're in conversation with Los Angeles Times reporter Sam Farmer on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. And Sam, you, you kind of are echoing what my thoughts have been recently about Colin Kaepernick and a lot of people still bang the drum. Anytime a quarterback gets hurt and somebody gets signed, uh, well, this guy sucks uh, and it's more proof of collusion against the NFL, I'd be more prone to say that it was there was maybe something to that very early on when he was still fresh, but exactly for the things you just lined out, Sam, I've thought maybe for the last two years, it's a ridiculous thing to say that just because he's available, 
uh, he has he, a lot of your skills can atrophy. And like you say, the mental sharpness, the eyes, the ability or the willingness to take a hit, um, just game shape. And you hear about it all the time, uh, whether it be a, a running and you mostly hear it with running backs. Right. When they come, uh, there's been a contract holdout and, and the running back needs to have a couple of hard practices, they say, before he can get in the game and take hits. But Colin Kaepernick's was kind of a he was a running quarterback, too. So if. Uh, anyways, uh, I guess that's just my way of saying uh, that I agree with with you and TJ Hushmanzada. Yeah, um, no, I mean I think it's and look, I, we know that, that the pressure to win is there, and if teams feel like a guy will help them win, uh, they're going to go to great lengths. And we've seen we've seen teams um, bring on players who um, had a checkered history or, or might be problematic for one one reason or another and if they can help you win i mean i always look to to ray rice he's at the end of his career um wasn't surprising to me that nobody signed ray rice um once he was cleared to play but you had joe mixon who had a very similar story coming out of college and the bengals take him in the second round um if if a team feels like uh, you can help them win, they will go to great lengths to get you on their roster. So, I mean, I, I feel like if somebody thought, you know, Colin Kaepernick is going to help us win the Super Bowl, he'd be signed by now. What's your sense, Sam, of of how it's been received in the league in terms of are there going to be important people at this thing? Because I, I imagine a lot of general managers are going to be – you know, out scouting college games uh, and already have plans for that. Head coaches are half of them are going to be traveling to to road games on Saturday. Are people was anybody kind of given a heads up on this, or is it kind of sprung on them the same way it has been the rest of the world? Uh, no, I mean it was sprung on them uh, yesterday, and it came in the in the bottom of a um, a series of messages. They were like a, a ten pack of messages that you download and it was the last one and i think it did catch a lot of people flat-footed and uh that were sent out to each team and you know i'd be shocked if you know any head coaches were there maybe atlanta's i don't know i mean it it's just who's going to leave their team on a saturday um whether you're at home or on the road as a head coach to look at a team and you've got general managers who are either with their teams uh, advanced scouting the next opponent or, um, you know, potentially at a college game. You have player personnel directors who are at college games. You've got pro personnel directors who are at advanced scouting games. So I think teams will be represented. I'd be surprised if it's a who's who, um, particularly because the league said, hey, listen, the last thing in that memo the league said is, we're going to work this guy out. We're going to conduct an interview with this guy. It will be taped and sent to every and be accessible to every club. So every club will be able to watch a tape of this. That said, I think there are enough people in personnel departments that you can take a lower-level personnel guy, just conjecture on my part, and send a lower-level personnel guy to... Uh, 
to a workout like this. Even if for PR reasons, for your local fans to who are wondering, did we go see this or did we ignore exactly. it? Exactly. Um, I was at Ravens today. John Harbaugh was asked about it, and Harbaugh said, I'm not sure we'll have anybody there or not. I think he was, not that he was waffling on it, I think he sincerely wasn't, wasn't up to speed. So I think it's safe to say Harbaugh is not going to be there. Um, again, beyond, uh, and I, I have to see the schedule of where Atlanta is this week, um, beyond the Falcons, who the workout will be at their Flowery Branch facility, uh, I don't know that any head coach would be there. Even the team that's playing the Falcons, if they're in fact playing in Atlanta, I can't imagine that, that a head coach would leave his team the day before a game when they have a walkthrough to go see a Colin Kaepernick workout or a workout of any player for that matter. Yeah, it seems, you know, if you wanted to bring Colin Kaepernick in for a workout, uh, you know, you could have, anybody could have done it at any point. So is this almost. That's the a, other disingenuous thing right. about it. Isn't this almost, you know, is there any sense of. Maybe there's a few teams that wanted to, but were afraid of the the PR backlash, and this is almost cover for those teams. It's like, hey, you can do it, and everybody's doing it, so you don't have to feel like you're going to make a ton of news by bringing this guy in for a workout. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. That might be, um, um, you know, it's all conjecture. Uh, that would be conjecture on my part, but it makes total sense to me. And like I said, to me it feels like, um, an obligation, a box that's being checked. And, uh, yes, we provided you a workout. Um, but I just, you know, on a, as I said, your birthday party, we, we're having a great party for you. It's at 3 a.m. How many friends are going to show up? So, Well, it depends on what kind of friends you have. Yeah. Well, or what I mean, kind of person you are. That's right. See, 3 in the and, afternoon and that, would be the time to screw me on a party. Yeah, 3 a.m. could be a fun part. <laughs> 3, 3 a.m., that well, would be great that fine by me. And that brings us full circle to the fact that you didn't vote for me for, for the Hall of Fame. Hey, Sam, one, one quick one on your, uh, your home teams before we let you go, if that's okay. Yep. Uh, yep. Philip Rivers, uh, are we watching the end of a, of a fine career here? Well, um, the Chargers haven't extended him. Um, He's a he's a key player for them, not only on the field but off the field. Um, but you know, we might be watching the end with the Chargers. Uh, I could see him playing one more year, maybe in Tennessee or something like that. Uh, he wants to be a high school coach in Alabama when he retires. Uh, although I think he'd actually be really good on TV. Um, he doesn't want to do that. And um, I could see him playing out one more year somewhere else. You know, he could wind up with the Chargers. I just don't know if they extend him uh, uh, another year. But um, he's important for a team that is trying to desperately trying to build a fan base. I'm at the rental car center, and I think the woman's going to open my door here. Um, I just hold up my Lock finger. It. So uh, I've got to take a flight, guys, in about. Uh, 30 minutes, so I better hop here. Sam, thanks for giving us your time. You probably should have bailed a long time ago. 
but you, you hung in there with us. You'll get my uh, if they if you get a second uh, if you're up for anything else, uh, you'll get my vote. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, safe Great travels. All that that was Los Angeles Times NFL reporter Sam Farmer on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. All right, we got to hit a break. When we come back, I think we're going to hear from Joe Licata, time and football coach and athletic director. Has a big game coming up this uh, Saturday. And uh, we're also going to talk to him about Josh Allen. Get a little quarterback analysis from... Uh, from somebody who has done it quite a bit on this show uh, at the Athletic, and a great friend of the uh, of the Tim Graham show, fearless Joe Lacob. Yeah, fearless. He's fe- he's going to call in fearlessly. I hope he gives some reckless analysis. Yes, let's let's hear what he has to say about this thin line between fearless and reckless. Coming up next on the Tim Graham show, brought to you by CTBK here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. <laughs> Prices shot out of the ground by premium prices. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Taking your calls at 270-1270. On Twitter at 1270TheFan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. CPAs and business consultants, follow them at CTBK45. We got to jump right into it because it only has a couple of minutes. Joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline is Timon football coach and athletics director, former UB quarterback, Joe Licata joining us. Joe, did you think you were going to be girding up for a championship this week? <laughs> no, but I'm excited in the. Uh... The kids have been working really hard, and we've been practicing in the snow the last couple of days, so it's been uh, quite the setting for a championship game. You're playing St. Mary's on uh, Saturday. Uh, give us a quick scouting report uh, based on the when you played during the regular season. Yeah, we uh, we ended up beating them during the regular season 19-7. to um, They have a running back who uh, is probably going to win Offensive Player in the year, of the Year in our, uh, in our league. Um, Jaquan Manuel, a kid can play football. Um, so we got to find a way to slow him down and take care of the football on offense and take our shots when we need to take our shots and um, should be feeling pretty good about ourselves Saturday night then, hopefully. How are you coaching relative to the weather forecast? Um, it does change the way you call things. Uh, you know, but you go in with the idea of what, what's going to happen and then you got a backup plan and then a backup plan to the backup plan. Um, but as Mike Tyson says, everyone's got a plan until – you know, you get punched in the face. So um, that weather, especially at that stadium, um, might be doing a little bit of punching in the face. How good's your kicker? Um, he's pretty good. Uh, we don't kick field goals, really. Um, just extra points. Um, high school football. <laughs> That's right. It's hard to find kickers. It is. It certainly is, as you see uh, on Sundays. Hard for you now. to find a kicker. That's right. It's hard well, for college teams to find kickers. That's absolutely true. I know it really is. It, it's it's a it's a tough thing to do, um, and not a lot of people. There's a lot of people that try to specialize in it, but it's a, it's, a, it's a skill that not a lot possess. Except for Canisius, they find a good one every year. <laughs> they do, they do. They pop out a Division One kid every year. It seems like. So, Joe, I know you only have a few minutes here, and uh, I don't know if uh, with your duties at Timon, you were able to see 
what some of the coverage has been like uh, today regarding issues, uh, Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, players on the team being asked about the offense, what the problem is. And as somebody who coaches quarterbacks and uh, has helped send kids on to uh, Division One scholarships and uh, playing the position yourself, what are some things uh, that you see? What are the things that jump out to you uh, when you're watching Josh Allen on Sundays? Well, the the first part of your statement about quarterbacks, qu- quarterbacks are a different breed. Um, so when I coach my quarterbacks at school, I'm the only one that talks to the quarterback. I don't want an offensive line guy talking to the quarterback about certain things. I don't want a receiver's coach talking to my quarterback about certain things. That position is so special and so important that it needs to be one central, one voice, um, telling them what's going on, telling them what you want out of them. Um, so when you start asking other players about that uh, position or about what's going wrong, uh, that, that's, that's opening a can of worms. Um, I'm sure McDermott wasn't happy about that. Like you said, I, I haven't actually had a chance to follow any of it today. I've uh, been kind of crazy busy over here, but uh, that's that's dangerous when people start asking and start pointing the finger, especially at that position because it's so fragile, it's so special, it's so uh, unique. Meaning McDermott not being happy about the reporters and things asking those questions. I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, uh, Tim. I, 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 like I said, I haven't really followed it too much, but I'm just saying um, it's never a good thing if if players are are talking about the quarterback. Uh, or the offense, because like I said, it's such a fragile position, and I'm sure he probably only wants Dorsey talking to the to the quarterback about what he should do be doing differently instead of getting opinions from other people or uh, different coaching points. What do you see mechanically or in decision making? Anything that uh, anything that uh, rings a bell or, or well, raises a he, flag for you? Last year. Um, when Matt Fairburn and I did that breakdown for the athletic, uh, we saw a lot of simple downfield concepts, a lot of deep post routes with a deep over route or some type of longer route with a shorter route in front of it, where it was, you're reading off of a safety or reading off of a deep zone player. Um, and that simplified things for, for Allen. And he was able to come out of a play action, get his eyes downfield, spot that one player that he was reading and make a decision based on one player. And, uh, you know, as as the quarterback progresses, um, you try to give him a little bit more freedom. You try to give him a little bit more responsibility. And I think Dable's done that. And in certain circumstances, as you've seen, it just it hasn't it hasn't progressed the way that people would like it to progress. Um, so I think people blaming Dable isn't necessarily fair. People blaming uh, Allen isn't necessarily fair. I think it's just a combo of trying to do things on the offensive side of the ball that he just isn't quite ready for. Um, and hopefully he can grow into it and be ready for it. But right now it's just pretty evident to me that there's a little bit too much complexity in the offense uh, mixed with Allen not quite being at that mature level that they want him to be at yet. What type of stuff do you see, Joe, in terms of, you know, I know he's got a lot on his plate in terms of checking the protection at the line and and checking into certain things at the line. When you say that things are are more complex, what what do you see and what could they maybe do to streamline it and get him back to, you know, thinking and playing a little faster like he was last year? Well, you try to take stuff off of his plate. Um, Protections uh, are the, the most significant change when you change levels of football. You go from high school 
where you really don't have that much responsibility in the protections. You just know when you're throwing off of a hot receiver or off of a hot defensive player. Uh, then you go into college where you have you go into a game with like 16 to 20 different pass protections, um, and then which is crazy. Uh, you're responsible for changing stuff, or the line is responsible for changing stuff. And then you get into the NFL and you're installing like eight to ten protections new every week for different coverages where that's another side of the game that you have to think about um so if they were to be able to take that off of his plate and and let one of the linemen really worry about that more so uh that would simplify stuff in the passing game because he would then be able to focus on what the secondary is doing uh which way they're rolling if they're if they're trying to shift into cover three cover two cover six whatever they're trying to play on the back end uh he can focus more on that if he doesn't have to worry about his protections but with that being said, that's a quarterback's job now. Um, I mean, you see, you guys saw Peyton Manning do it for years, calling out, hey, 52's Mike, 52's Mike. He's setting the protection um, and shifting guys and telling them who they're identifying, uh, who, who they're reading off of based on who he's identifying as that, what they call Mike uh, backer. So it's a lot on his plate, but a lot of guys can't handle it. Some can't. Um, and if they want to simplify, they take that responsibility away from them. Do you see any uh, – the, the deep balls are a big topic, Joe. I know you, we only got a few seconds here, but is there anything that can be done differently on the deep ball? Is it a, is it a mentality thing? And when you do have the arm like that and you have a, an ability to overthrow even your fastest receivers, um, what, can, what, what adjustment do you make? Well, some, some of it's feel. Some of it's a mechanical breakdown. Um, you know, when, when it's a feel thing, that's what worries you. When it's a mechanical thing, you can fix that. But if it's a feel thing and he's just missing guys, then, then flag should be going off. And I, I don't think necessarily it's a feel thing. I think some of his mechanics break down when, when the pressure, uh, gets put on him. And, you know, that's, you sink to the level of your training and that's kind of what's happening when stuff breaks down and, and he's not quite there yet mechanically. He he can be. He's shown flashes of it when when he's got a clean pocket and he can step into his throw and make make a play. He can make he can make all those throws. Um, but sometimes when you know the the bullets are flying, so to say, I mean, it breaks down for him a little bit, and mechanically he's just a little bit off, and that's what's causing his issues. Joe, thanks for joining us. I know you got to get to basketball practice, uh, but that's the uh, that's the life of an athletics director and a uh, guy who has thrown himself into the world of enriching young lives. So Joe's coaching sports. football, and then what? JV basketball right after that. Yeah. So this is this week we have a little bit of an overlap. We're finishing up football, um, you know, with the game on Saturday, and then we started tryouts for basketball on Monday. So I've gone from football practice over to basketball. Um, every night this week, so it's well, Joe, crazy over here. Good luck against St. Mary's on Saturday. Thanks for giving us your thoughts on uh, on Josh Allen's uh, state, and uh, we'll we'll be seeing you soon. Awesome, thanks, Tim. Thanks, guys. All right, that was Joe Lakata on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Uh, next up on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. We'll talk more Bills. We'll get more into Josh Allen and what he had to say about playing fearlessly. Uh, We'll talk about uh, the game coming up against Miami on Sunday, and Joel Staniszewski will come in and uh, tell us about that, uh, that point spread.
against a team that put a scare into the Bills in Orchard Park just three weeks ago. Uh, coming up uh, after the break on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Graham Show. Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, the fan. Wet mall. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis Bisa, and Kirshner CPAs and business consultants. So far today, we've heard from L.A. Times reporter Sam Farmer on the Colin Kaepernick situation, what's going on in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, where he, uh, Sam was out there uh, doing some reportage. Heard from Joe Licata on uh, Josh Allen, things like uh, mechanics and psychology and where things are at with the Buffalo Bills quarterback. And if you missed those segments, you want to check it out, uh, you can... Uh, download a podcast of the Tim Graham Show, either on SoundCloud or iTunes. Jonah Bronstein here in studio handling a periscope. So if you want to check out uh, the show on video, uh, you can uh, see all previous Tim Graham shows as well as this one. Uh, we tweet out a link to uh, to that uh, every every week during the show. In color. In, in living color, in technicolor. And... Uh, of course, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic here in studio, Bobby Rosati diddling the knobs. Uh, it was an interesting day out in Orchard Park. I had to follow from afar. I had a sick child today, so I decided to uh, stay home and uh, didn't get out to practice, but Matt Fairburn was there. Um, I, I don't know the answer to this question, so I'm not teeing you up. Maybe there is nothing provocative to say, but what was it? Was it did it feel any different out there today? It, uh, because my sense is, and, and not from again this isn't even an observational thing it's just the fact that at six and three with things tightening up with the schedule getting tougher with the dolphins on a two-game winning streak and not looking like a pushover uh tough opponents coming up who are also in the afc hunt how would you say the mood was out there matt i think it was like I said, at Sean McDermott's press conference, he was a little bit testier than normal. And I, I you know, particularly towards the end, uh, you know, Jerry Sullivan uh, jumped in with a question comparing Josh Allen to Tyrod Taylor. And, you know, that kind of got things started in a direction. And then at the end of the, the press conference, he had a little bit of a back and forth. He just, and, you know, for Josh Allen to kind of, you know, peel the curtain back a little bit that there was a, a meeting to, you know, or a sit down where Sean McDermott's telling them to play fearless. You just get the sense that there is a little bit of pressure mounting that maybe you know, things are getting a little uptight here. Let's, let's play that. Uh, the, the last question of Sean McDermott's news conference today, which unfortunately just hearing the audio of it doesn't do it justice because Sean McDermott's body language mm -hmm. during this response was 
pretty telling too. He was shrugging in exasperation. Uh, so he had uh, was uh, asked a question by Dan Fates, uh, who uh, is a television broadcaster in Rochester. Are you frustrated with that success rate of your offense, or where's your level of frustration with it? What success rate? Oh, success rate of your offense, or the failure of it to succeed. Are you what's, frustrated with it? What's the success rate? I'm not sure. Is there a number you're, you're referencing? Just points per game and just the quality of your offense. Well, give me a more specific. I need, I need more specific. I mean, you're throwing. Are you? Are you am I? Am I concerned with? Am I frustrated with the success of our offense? Yeah. I mean, there's 25 points per game. Is there is that enough? Where is the level of frustration? I guess it's from. Move the ball, score points. If we don't do that, I'm frustrated. Simply put. Okay. Thanks. And Sean McDermott walked off after that. Not as that was the last question. It wasn't to, as though he walked off in a huff. Although he, he probably was though. a little pissy. He was, he was a little but, quick, but it was. Yeah, he was being obtuse. He was. He was forcing the reporter. He was making the reporter twist because he didn't want to answer the question. So he was making. He was putting the reporter on the spot as a way of giving himself time. I think to figure out what he wanted to say. Is this a little bit like when you're asking a defensive player or a defensive coach? You know, do you need to score more points? Does the offense need to be better? Is McDermott being the defensive guy that he is not trying not to call out the offense? Mm. I mean, he did it after the game. It's his team. I think he was just getting sick of the questions about it because I don't think that's an unfair question, but it's also not a brand new one compared to the ones that – not. it wasn't a repeat question today, but um, I think it was sort of, hey, we can sense – like. Not a repeat question, but the theme is, is redundant yes. to him. Right. To the him having to answer it. It's not redundant to us asking it or the fans or anybody else listening or wanting to know a deeper answer. But to him, he's thinking, well, Jesus, <laughs> what else can I say? Because he's also very limited in what he can say, as to, to what Jonah was saying. He can't get into specifics, because if he does, then he's blaming somebody, or he's giving away too much strategy or whatever. So in his very vague way he can answer, he keeps having to come back to the same response over and over again, because he's unwilling to provide detail. And I think there was the reason the question was okay as as posed was, there was a sense that, okay, after the game, Monday, and a little bit today, that, yeah, there's some frustration. So, you know, to ask it directly in that way is to kind of just see how he'll respond, uh, you know, and probably got the most, you know, telling look at it, it. Clearly, he's quite frustrated by that response. Right. And again, um, and the, body, the, the body language adds a lot to yeah, it. He so, was swaying back and forth. Shrugging, yeah, looking, yeah, you know, confused, <laughs> like what? trying to, like, what, little, act, like, what are you laugh. getting at? I don't yeah. think he was. I don't want to call him confused, like a criticism, but I think he was a little confused by success rate. Thinking, are yeah. you referring to a certain success rate, running, passing, third down? Well, and success like rate is also could be. A, an analytics uh, thing. You right. know, you talk about success rate on a certain play. Um, that that is a specific analytics term, and I don't know if that triggered him in some way that he was trying to be put on the spot. Or he like could that. say, "Hey, look, in the red zone, our success rate is awesome." Right. But all right, uh, Frank from Williamsville. Thanks for uh, calling into the Tim Graham Show, <laughs> brought to you by CTBK. I just forgot Frank's hey, me, been on hold. <laughs> well, let me start by asking you: Is there any position in professional sports that's harder to learn and be proficient at than quarterback in the NFL? 
probably well let's see uh let's just uh, my my gut response is no but let's yeah. just for the sake of it try to figure it out um, it takes goalies a while a goal of uh, yeah a, a hockey goalie uh perhaps uh given all the mechanics and everything involved uh a pitcher in baseball or uh, yeah but I, I get what you're saying frank yeah it's, it's a very complicated position yeah, the other night i'm watching san francisco and, and seattle and i'm watching garoppolo who oh, he's getting all the accolades he was so bad that Booger McFarland said he looks nervous. He looks like he's, he, you know, he's in over his head in the, in the overtime there. Yeah, he looked really Wilson bad towards the end of the game, even in the fourth Wilson quarter. Threw, yeah. mm-hmm. Wilson threw a bad interception. I mean, Super Bowl winning quarterback, uh, you know, at ten, and it's from the ten yard line, I think. Um, so, so there was plenty of bad, bad plays to go around there. I just think, I think Allen's in over his head. He's not comfortable. And I wanted to ask you this because I've heard Thurman Thomas say before that um, when the Bills went to the K gun, that's when they finally, with when Kelly was a quarterback years ago they that's when they really turned it around and what he t- what he said was they re- basically ran four plays and they had some variations off of these four plays and they took and they gave it to kelly they said you run it and, and he had two or three reads on every play and he stumped it down and then that's when they finally started clicking i i think when, when just watching him go to his wristband and, and try to get to the the play the coach called for him and, and, and get out of the huddle and get to the line and he's look he looks he looks scared out there he doesn't look comfortable. Is what I'm trying to say. Every now, and, partly because he doesn't get much much pass protection. He's always he ha, he seems to rush the ball out. He throws the ball very, it, not quickly, but in a rush. It seems to me, and it hurts his accuracy, and and his confidence. I believe, and it's why he's most confident when he's running the ball. Because I don't see as much. Obviously, he's not much to think about. Yeah, say. that's exactly. That's yeah. so. It's so instinctual, and the, right. the act of playing quarterback is denying your instincts in so many different ways. It's looking at the second and third read and not locking onto a receiver and not trying to force a ball because you've made that throw in practice before uh, or you did it in college, and now you're trying to do it against NFL defensive backs. Yeah, it's absolutely. I think that, that you're. Yeah. it's pretty two astute. Quick, two quick things. One is uh, No, you don't have to be quick. Press, Take your time. Okay, okay. When you hear him in press conferences, he sounds like he's a puppet on the arm of McDermott. He he repeats all the things that coach speak. I agree. That McDermott gives him, and um, you know, I just I just feel that he, part part of the problem is his arm is so strong. Sometimes they even say to, the same exact phrase. Exact exact phrase, right? Ball protection or whatever. So he, his arm is so strong that he he can he and he's probably all through his life he's been used to forcing the ball in at the last second that that he he tries to do that here and you can't do that. Now, one other thing, real quick, I heard him say the other day. On those long passes, I'm afraid if I throw too short, I'm going to get picked off. The safe part, safe, safe is long on a long bomb, right? Because your guy is hopefully behind the, the defensive back, right? And so he, if he's going to miss, he's going to miss long. Because if he misses short, he's going to get intercepted. You can't be thinking like that when you're in the middle of a play. You can't be thinking about making mistakes. You have to think about making plays happen. It's the negative, the negative, you know, the the. the, the tr- Trying to not make a bad play is the last thing you want to do. Well, that's the fine line, Frank, and I don't know if you heard our first segment of the show, but we tried to dig into that whole mentality of fearless versus reckless, and I, I agree with you. Uh, I do think that, that, well, it's what Sean McDermott and Brian Dable and the Buffalo Bills as an entire team need is for him to protect the ball. And... You could maybe see him, as you say, when he's coming to the line, or maybe you, as you uh, you perceive him as playing scared. Um, I'm sure he's thinking constantly about not turning the ball over. 
And right. the problem is, is that if he's not thinking about that, then what do, what do you have? Maybe you have then the Josh Allen from the first three weeks of the season. I don't know. What do you want? I mean, if you're and and I'm, and I'm not saying that exasperated. I'm I I don't know. What 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 do you? Where is it with Josh Allen? Do you want him flinging it around? Do you want that guy that you drafted, but making those mistakes that jeopardize a good defensive performance or uh, put a surefire victory on the brink of of disaster? Or the guy who's going to play a little more safe, but he's too timid or he's overthinking it, and. I think the the Bills and, and Josh Allen now, maybe more than ever, don't know what they have. Well, I think Frank brings up a good point here, too, in that the the idea of Josh Allen, you know, the, the way that he seems rushed occasionally when he throws, I think a big part of that is he's not the type of quarterback who's throwing guys open, and that's part of his problem on the deep passes. He sees these guys open and, like Frank mentioned, occasionally waits until – the last possible moment because his arm is so strong and because he's gotten away with it in the past, which is where, you know, maybe simplifying things like Joe Licata mentioned in the last segment about taking a few things off his plate. Maybe it's progress, you know, maybe it's protections and he has less things to look at when he's, you know, dropping back to pass. But there is a lot that goes into playing this position that makes it really hard. It makes it really hard to develop these guys. And like you said, it makes it hard to know what you have and when to pull the plug, when to say, all right, this guy isn't it, because hey, Tim, some, sometimes it clicks for guys. Sure. No, go ahead, Frank. I was going to say, um, we remember what we like to remember. And if you, if you think, like, like Kelly's the standard, right? But Kelly was in the USFL for two years before he came to the Bills, and even then he had a learning curve. Now, I was watching the other day. Somebody put up on Twitter the, uh, or YouTube the Bills-Cleveland game from, from 89, the Ronnie Harmon game, and everyone would like to point out that Ronnie, Ronnie Harmon dropped that ball. But if you look at Kelly, he, before the pass to Ronnie Harmon, he threw two balls right into the arms of Cleveland linebackers that were dropped. Okay, And then after the, after the Harmon miss, the Bills got the ball back, and they were on like the 15-yard line, and the game ended by Kelly throwing another interception. But we don't, we don't remember that. All we remember is that Ronnie Harmon dropped the ball. That's true. And, and that Kelly was great, right? But it just it, it, and it, so much of it is luck. Like what, the other night with that uh, Rams game or the uh, Seahawks game, the guy right in his arm he just drops the ball. I mean, like you know, it was, what are you going to do? I mean, it just it, or what are we it, t- what are we saying to- about Josh Allen today? If John Feliciano doesn't make an incredible athletic, for, especially for an interior offensive lineman, incredibly athletic recovery right at the goal line. We're yeah, we're right. probably we probably are talking about is it time for Matt Barkley to get in there? I don't th- I don't think yeah. that's a that's a reach. If the if the Bills now the Bills did lose the game, but if they lost it because the perception would be uh, clearly because Josh Allen is uh, can't keep himself from turning the ball over uh, again. That I I don't think that 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 topic would certainly be on the table. Matt Barkley. Well, last thing, to, to, you, you, with guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? Everybody knew Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to, at some point, he was just good enough to lose you the game, right? I mean, you you, you just knew that he was going to get one point. Right, and so I don't want that to happen to Allen. And I, I have a feeling some quarterbacks, someone was talking about throwing the ball when, when, when to, before the guy's open. That's got to be a task that's got to be difficult to learn. And, and I think guys like, um, well, obviously uh, Brady and, and, and Jim Kelly's field to do that, but um, but for a guy like Allen, he's got so much to worry about. And then on top of that, not turn the ball over, and then on top of that, be successful. 
it just, it just, I just think it's too much to ask for him right now. Maybe it's just going to take him three to five years to develop. But he's just, he went to Wyoming for God's sake, right? And was, how much sophisticated defenses was he seen in the what is that, the Big Sky or something out there? Mountain so West. I, I just Mountain West. Mountain, right. So uh, about you know, it wasn't the like same. He was playing at Penn State or, or, or Ohio State or somewhere. But if that has anything, if that's in, or not. A, hey, thanks for letting me on the air. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks yeah, for listening, you. Frank. Yeah, a lot of great stuff in there and very astute uh, observations. I think Frank, uh, very Frank observation. <sighs> yes, it was very Frank, Jonah. Jonah was insistent <laughs> on getting that line in from yeah. the from the last commercial break. I, know, I said it too fast. I even mispronounced. He workshopped, <laughs> he workshopped it during the commercial break. It didn't <laughs> go over well. Tried and it out he went with us. it anyway. He flubbed it. He it, kind yeah. of. Kind of like Try Josh it. Allen I'm fearless. I'm fearless. He's, he's reckless. <laughs> that was reckless. All right. We uh, we have more coming up on the Tim Graham Show, including Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas to talk about the Bills, who opened up as seven-and-a-half-point favorites against Miami, and it's now been bet down to six. Uh, so the money coming in on Miami so far, and rightfully so. I think five straight covers for the Dolphins. So you have that. You have the Dolphins perhaps trending upward. We're going to get into that with Joel Staniszewski uh, and more when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants on the uh, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I really hear voices in my head. Yes, we all hear voices in our head. I can hear the voices in my head again. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. And on The Fan's app, free to download in the App Store. Now back to The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis Bissell, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. We consulted with CTBK about merging all of us together to form this show. Business mergers, acquisitions, litigation support, whatever you need in your business. Reach out to CTBK, based in Amherst. They're celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. Ring them up at 716-630-2400. That is CTBK. I'm going to give that number one more time. 716-630-2400. Follow them on Twitter at CTBK45. It hasn't been a good start to the college basketball season here in Western New York. Everybody has gotten lumped up already. Yeah, the only win is UB over Division Three Nazareth. The rest of them, Canisius plays tonight, Canisius 0-1. UB lost to Dartmouth, which is... Preseason poll-wise, the worst team in the Ivy League. Not necessarily like losing to Penn or they play the best team in the Ivy League this Saturday in Toronto and Harvard. And Bono, who a lot of people thought was, myself being one of them, going to have a good year, a team on the rise. They're 0-3, not really losing to top you know, 25 major conference programs. It's been a slow start for all the programs combined. Niagara, of course, a Washington. Niagara, I forgot about them. They, I mean, they're... The worst of the bunch. Right. Catastrophe there. Pat Beeline uh, being, I don't know, was he fired? 
What was well, technically what happened? Did he resign? You call that an abrupt resignation, <laughs> or a you could right. be so bold to call it a forced resignation. I don't know if we can say that for certain. Yeah. I it wasn't don't uh, feel too. I, I'm fearless in saying I think it was a coerced <laughs> resignation. He wasn't straight up defenestrated. They didn't beg him to stay. I don't think when he came he in and said, "I gotta go." Um, he wasn't ejected, but he was. Wasn't a mutual decision, maybe. maybe he didn't offer. Maybe it was. It wasn't his idea. <laughs> a a grim, a grim, provocative, and a what I would give a thumbs up to a campaign. Uh, as Matt and I were driving in Ohio, and they have the boards, the different messages that they'll give for traffic that's upcoming, and or if there's bad weather. Uh, but when nothing's going on, they'll just have some sort of PSA. And throughout Ohio, they had these boards that said, uh, "Drive uh, uh, not wearing seatbelt, personal foul, driver ejected. And I thought, well, sh- that, that really kind of sums it up there, doesn't it? <laughs> Drives the message home. Yes, it does. So anyway. Was that a pun? Not intended, but. So, yeah, tough go of it for the basketball teams, although. Not all of them. You know, UB women at three and zero. They're looking really good without their best player, Summer Hemphill, and our sponsors up at Niagara Community College. They're both undefeated. So it's and it's early in the season, I think, for these big four men's teams. To what wear. was that N Triple C women's basketball score? Do you remember? Oh, they was won one hundred nineteen to nineteen in college and basketball. Yeah. And all of their scores. I mean, they're averaging one hundred three a game, and I think I looked the teams they're play their defensive scoring average is about thirty seven. Yeah, it's college, junior college, but Yoinks. Nate Butel doing a doing a job up there. And you know who else is doing a job? Lance Lightbold with the football team. That was the point I was getting at. Oh. You know, the basketball season, a bit of a slow start, but it's still really football season. Right. UB football at Kent State this weekend. At Kent State tomorrow night. Tomorrow, I'm sorry, th- that's a Thursday night match. National television, one of the ESPN networks. I know in front of me which if one UB it is. If UB wins that game, they're bowl eligible. And right. they Their are favored win. in Las Vegas by six points. Now, interesting about that, UB opened as only a point-and-a-half favorite at Kent State, uh, and that has been bet up to six points now. They are a six-point underdog. So the betters in Vegas jumped all over that that thin line. Uh, that game, by the way, is going to be on uh, CBS Sports Network. So if you're a DirecTV watcher, that's 221, as in my household. So you can watch that game on the television. Maybe at Elmo's. Maybe I'll go to Elmo's and watch the game tomorrow night. Do they get that channel? I don't get that channel. They do. Oh, wait. Oh, they're a Spectrum outlet. Out. They're not DirecTV. They're Spect- CBS Sports Network. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we've watched it there. Anyways. But the point I wanted to Nationally make is Nationally televised game. UB was 2-4 and four a couple weeks ago. Their starting quarterback injured. It really looked like... This season was going in the tank. They weren't going to be bowl eligible. They weren't going to win very many games. It was another in the long line of UB having one good year and then falling back to being a losing program for another period of time. They've turned that around. It's, I'm almost You could almost say with certainty they're going to be bowl eligible. They're going to win one of these final three games. They have a chance to win all of these final three games, finish on a six-game winning streak, be eight and four, which is better than I think most anybody thought they would be this year. And I don't know if it's a lesson, but, you know, you look at some of these basketball teams that are off to slow starts. You could go national with Kentucky, Louisville, and Evansville. You can't, like in any sport, you can't read too much into what happens in the first games when teams are still figuring 
things out, figuring out how to play together, and you know things change. Let's circle back to that game. We were talking about basketball. We switched over to UB football, but fascinating last night. Uh, Evansville goes into Rupp Arena and beats – I don't want to say it was comfortable because Kentucky had a chance to tie the game on the last possession. There were foul shots involved. But it wasn't as though Evansville hung tight, hung, tight, hung tight, got a basket at the end and won. They were ahead – by five, six, seven, whatever it was, with seven minutes left in the game and closed it out against Kentucky, the preseason number one team. Or I shouldn't I don't even want to see preseason. They were number one. They've been playing games. So, yeah, what do you make of that? Unranked, by the way, Evansville, on the road against the number one team in the country. And I'm looking at the stats, and it's not like they made a ton of shots. They shot 38%. They had less free throws. They out-rebounded them by three. I mean, I didn't watch the game, but that, that's what I'm saying. It happens. Sometimes you see a high-ranked team lose to a Division II school or a very small college school very early in the season, and it's because these are, even at Kentucky, these are young players, mostly freshmen. It takes time for them to gel together. I think that's what we saw with UB the other night. Now, UB shot very poorly. Even against Nazareth, they missed free throws. They have some issues with, I think, their shooting, but – my takeaway from their loss to Dartmouth was there's a lot of new parts, and even though they're good players and, and they might get along well chemistry-wise in the locker room, it takes time playing together to know how to play together. So without knowing exactly who's on the Evansville team, I would imagine this is a team with more continuity and players that have a feel for how to play together than the Kentucky team does. And Kentucky probably took them lightly, which – can get a team beat, especially in college. Right. John uh, Calipari, his, his comment after the game was, we can expect to lose a bunch of games if we – and it wasn't a necessarily how they played. I, it was more of a mental thing. He's like, we just – we came in here, we weren't ready. We just thought we were going to walk all over these guys because we're mighty Kentucky. Which seems to be the case because it doesn't look like Evansville just couldn't miss and had the game of their lives. Evansville didn't even play that great from a shooting standpoint, and Kentucky still let them beat them. All right, so it's dangerous, I think, to really draw conclusions after just one week of college basketball. Is that where you are with the big four teams in terms of the, the shaky starts that everybody's gotten off to? I think we could probably assume that Niagara's not going to be good this year. They probably well, weren't yeah, going to be that good like, even before they lost their head coach. Canisius, not a lot was is, is expected from Canisius. I think Canisius can still be good in the MAC. They're about the same talent-wise that I think they've been the last couple of years and will be better. And there's been years where they've, the last couple of years with Reggie Witherspoon, contended for winning the MAC while not playing that well in the non-conference portion of the schedule. So might be another case like that this year. You can draw conclusions, I think, that Niagara's not going to be very good. I didn't think, even with Patrick Beeline coaching or whoever coaching, that they really had enough players to be that competitive this year. And it might only get worse with the situation they're having. I think with UB and St. Bonaventure, which are the two teams we thought were going to have good seasons and could have good seasons and are playing in kind of showcase games in Toronto on Saturday, you can be a little bit worried about St. Bonaventure because this is three games now. Now, their big man, Oshinashuni, he's not playing. He hurt his knee in the first game. That's been a factor there. With UB, they got some tough games coming up now. And if the shooting issues that they've had, the free throw shooting and if they don't play well, if they lose to Harvard, then they go down to the Charleston Classic and then they lose some games down there. I think you can maybe get concerned that this is a team that rarely lost, only lost one non-conference game last year, and they're not playing the very best teams. 
And if that continues, I would be a little bit worried about him. If they play well, if they beat Harvard, I think you can throw that Dartmouth game out the window and not be worried about them. One thing, though, if you were looking at UBB and a possible at-large team again, losing to a team like Dartmouth really hurts that, and they don't have much margin for error left with non-conference games. They probably can't have another bad non-conference loss and expect to be a team that would get at-large consideration. Now, after Harvard, UB has the Charleston Classic. They'll open up that with uh, UConn, but uh, who else is in that tournament? Well, what I know is that Xavier and Florida are in that tournament. Those are the teams they could play if they keep winning. I'm not sure who else is in that tournament if they were to lose against UConn and have to play some of the, the lesser teams, which are teams they might have a better chance of getting wins against. High-profile teams, though. I mean, Those are the high-profile teams. teams. There will be other teams that are not high-profile teams in that tournament. And then after that, William and Mary at Vanderbilt, at DePaul, against Army back in Buffalo, and then uh, Canisius, Niagara, Bonaventure all in a row before opening up the uh, Mid-American Conference uh, schedule. That Bonaventure game, by the way, is in Buffalo. Uh, well, actually, you know what they do is they say at Buffalo here on the, on the schedule here, and I end up just re- repeating that. Those games are in Amherst. Yes? Yes. But it's the university at Buffalo. Right. But the site is, when I do, as I read this and I say, well, is that downtown? And I start, you know, is that at the Key Bank Center? You know, it's not. Those games are in Amherst, which yeah, they I should say on their schedule. If you, yeah, you, but you, it's not accurate. You would use an Amherst dateline if you're writing for the Associated Press. Or the Athletic. Or the Athletic. Just to update on you on that, if Buffalo were to lose games out of that Charleston Classic, they'll play teams like Towson. Missouri State, maybe St. Joe's. So the strength of their schedule can really hinge on whether they beat UConn in that game and who they then play after that. Now, a team that lost to Dartmouth in the first game, I don't know how much we really need to be concerned about whether they're going to get these quality wins against UConn and Xavier, but we'll see where they are coming out of this game against Harvard, who's getting votes in the AP poll. They're almost a top 25 team. Right. Thanks, Jonah. Let's oh, get you're to- welcome, Tim. Hey. <laughs> Wait, let me throw one thing out there. No. Yes, one more thing about that basketball no. game. Just in between, you got Buffalo playing. I said no. Harvard on Saturday, Bonham playing Rutgers. In between that's Tennessee, which is a top 25 team against Washington. Some local ties there. Devontae Gaines is on the Tennessee team. He played at Health Sciences. Desmond Oliver, a Buffalo guy, is a coach there. Washington has Isaiah Stewart from Rochester, one of the 10 best freshmen in the country. Naz Carter, another guy from Rochester. So, there's local angles for really the marquee game of that event in Toronto on Saturday. Oh, good stuff. So if you are a college basketball fan, a good trip. It's probably the best college tr- basketball event in this area, even if it's not in this area, close to this area this season. It's closer than Syracuse. Right on. All right, when we come back, we're going to have Joel Staniszewski. He's going to be on the line from Vegas. Uh, we won't ask him about the UB spread going from one and a half to six. He doesn't because follow- we'll get that air. He won't. You don't think he'd get that? He have that for us. He well, he doesn't follow. He admittedly doesn't follow colleges, but I will say this: it's tough. Joel Staniszewski for that theoretical two betters uh, who were theoretically driving through Pennsylvania last week. Yeah, he sent three theoretical bets last week, and they all well, one was a push, two wins. Wow! And uh, he's given some good advice. They would have been happy if they. Had done, had done he, that. He was big on yes. Baltimore covering <laughs> ten and a half against Cincinnati. He was big on the Jets 
against the Giants. Covering. In a weird home game. Wow. That's tough. Joel's, Joel's doing well. And if not for Stephen Hauschka, he probably goes 3-0 and with his, with his suggestions, mm. with his theoretical suggestions to a couple of theoretical sports writers who were able to do some mobile sports betting in Pennsylvania. Heading through. We're going to talk to Joel when we come back here on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham, getting a good interview with OJ. At the end of the interview, OJ told Tim he's a positive person. You want to hear that? Okay. Whether or not. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. He was in for the drinks and the skirts, allegedly. <laughs> Jason, chasing drinks and skirts. Feel free to call in with your favorite Derek Roy story. <laughs> 270, 1270. And on the Fans app. Free to download in the App Store. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPOs and business consultants. I uh, just learned during the break, I'd never heard this phrase before, I just learned about butt rock. Mm. Yes. I just uh, Googled butt rock. Not too bad. Because the band that you were playing as we went into our last break was considered a butt rock artist. Yes. And I thought your list that you read was accurate, except for one band, but... Other than that, it's pretty on. Yeah. So there was uh, Joel Staniszewski's band, Butt Rock. No, we're no, gonna we're I gonna ask him. That's so. the reason I'm br- I'm still talking about it is because Joel <laughs> is a musician and he is going to no. Uh, Joel is uh, what? What do you call that? That's but, not thrash metal or what? What do you call Joel's genre? I believe it's I believe it's death metal. Death metal. Death metal. But right, we'll confirm right, that right, right, right. shortly. But Butt Rock, I never heard of the phrase before, and it's a thing. It's like a real thing, and mm-hmm. it's. It, people aren't making music under that genre title, but no. it is an actual right. genre by just by popular demand. Yeah, I don't think anybody's like <laughs> breaking a- into the butt. Who actually listens to butt rock, like <laughs> and actually enjoys it, non-ironically says, "Hey, turn on some of that butt rock." <laughs> it's more people who think it's they're making fun of the people who listen to those right. bands. All right, let's get a, let's it's a get derogatory here term in ways. <laughs> From Buffalo to Las Vegas. The Bills make me wanna. Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city as a whole. It's more like a royal flush. Joel Staniszewski, the handicapper, odds maker, gambling analyst, based in Las Vegas, but from Sloan, joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Joel, how you been? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm doing well. I just learned out. I just learned uh, during the last break 
what butt rock is. Uh, what is your What are your thoughts on butt rock? I don't really. I've heard the expression. Um, is that like Nickelback kind of? Yes, but here let's let's have Matthew Fairburn, yeah. uh, who looked it up. This is from Urban Dictionary, and Bobby, who professes himself as knowledgeable on the genre, says that this is entirely <laughs> accurate. Well, I'm not saying it is an insult. You, no, you're yeah. you're the one in the studio who's most aware of butt rock. Yes. And I'd never heard of it, yeah. but so Matt reads this off, and you say this is dead on. I and, think so. Okay. And this is not my definition. This is Urban Dictionary. I'm right. Not, I'm not saying anything here. Butt rock generally found on CBS-owned radio stations across the Midwest, Great Plains, and Southwest. Butt rock is overly commercialized processed music that lacks innovation and creativity. Butt rock predominantly targets a demographic of blue-collar workers, generally men 18 to 45, that drink cheap light beer, have a fascination with big trucks, avidly watch Monday Night Football, and this is key, are wannabe UFC fighters. Oh. Oh. It's dead on. Ed Hardy shirts, the only mention not in there. Uh, so, yeah, you're talking about Shinedown. Theory of a Dead Man. Anne Berlin. Seether. Three Doors oh Down, Breaking Benjamin. Stained. Yep. Stained. Puddle of mud. Puddle of mud. Five finger death punch. Oh. What is that? Does that that type of music do anything for you, Joel? Uh, that band, Five Finger Death Punch. I think they're from Las Vegas. They were uh, originally a lot heavier in like the the heavy metal Pantera yeah. style vein, and then they kind of morphed into butt rock. And I, I, from what I've heard, their newer stuff is heavier again. But I can't really verify. I I couldn't tell you anything that they. Thing. Joel Staniszewski is a lead singer in a band, or at least uh, maybe we need an update because bands come and go. What what is your status in the music world right now? Uh, 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 yeah, I I still play in two bands, the same two bands. Uh, I sing for a band called The End of Everything, and I play drums in a band called Suffer the Law. What kind of gigs do you get out there in Vegas? Uh, some pretty good gigs. Uh, we uh, the band I play drums for, Suffer the Loss, we're playing uh, this Friday. We play it at a. Uh, we're playing at an American Legion Hall where they do a lot of underground punk and hardcore shows uh, with some some touring band, a band from California called Vamachara, who's pretty uh, pretty good uh, on tour with a couple other bands like Section Hate and uh, some other uh, other local bands as well. The American Legion Hall. How many is that seat? Do you think? Uh, about four hundred. Ooh, it's healthy. Yeah. It's healthy. Do any of the veterans actually show up? You know, like, the, those like cor- uh, the Korean vets? and They, they, they have, like, a, a separate bar area where all the vets kind of hang out and drink beer and eat snacks, and then they'll... They're they okay with you like, guys coming in there and taking over? Well, obviously, you're, yeah. paying, them, you're paying rent for the night, but, I mean, yeah, what do yeah. they think of when they see your clientele start rolling in? Um, there's a, there's a couple of them that like will work security or, or work the door and check IDs. Uh, so I think they're cool with it as a whole. Um, I would say that I'm, uh, more of a, uh, a, a rare find when it comes to hardcore punk music. Cause usually that's like the demographic is like, you know, 16 to 30 is like the main, uh, people that go to shows like that. So when they see a 40 year old guy like me, like the, the veterans are like, Hey, what's up? Your kid playing here? One of us. Uh, <laughs> Is this Joel's right. music right underneath here? 
Sure is. End of everything. Can you turn it up a little bit? Let's get a taste of it. That's Joel singing. Oh, we turn it up just in time to yeah, get right, to a Yeah, right, just for wall. the end. <laughs> Hang on, here we go. Listen to this. Joel, I don't even want to hear any picks this week. I just want to keep talking to you about music. <laughs> but you're on a roll with the picks, too. You uh, uh, you made yeah. me a couple of bucks over the weekend, and I thank you for that. All right, I'll send I'll, you a cut. I'll, yep, I expect my expect my uh, finder's fee in the mail. <laughs> Baltimore <laughs> laying the ten and a half. Uh, the yeah. Jets over the Giants, and the Bills end up pushing. Yep. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on the Bills this week? They opened uh, as a Seven and a half point favorite, but the betters clearly like the Dolphins because it's cut down to six points right now, pretty much anywhere you want to bet, uh, so and with a total what, of about 40 and a half. Yeah, where you find, uh, where you find, where you see that seven, seven and a half as the opening line is where usually the Westgate will put out the lines the week before, and they'll put them up for a couple of days. And then when the next, when the Sunday game starts, they take them down and adjust it based upon win loss injuries, etc. So that that line came back out again this week at, at uh, six and a half, six. Um, and that's based upon the, the Bills, you know, not winning, uh, looking again offensively that they can't play a four-quarter game. Uh, the Dolphins are on a two-game win streak when everybody was expecting them to be on a historically bad pace for the rest of the year. Uh, the Dolphins are 5-0 and against the spread their last five games, uh, including uh, when they played in Buffalo and, and were a 17-point dog. So the betters are looking at it as uh, the line's a, a bit high. The Bills can't seem to score too much offensively, and the Dolphins are putting up a fight and, and actually trying to win games. Where do you stand on this uh, six-point spread? I feel like the line's a little high still. Uh, based upon the Bills' last three games, we'll say, three, four games, um, they're winning these, that we're winning, we'll say, four games. We're winning, what, 50%? Um, but we're not scoring as much as we could be and should be. When we look at the offense moving the ball, when we look at the key players that are doing well, um, Singletary, Cole Beasley, you see them, and they're not getting looks until late in the game or not often enough. Um, and I feel like that's a continuing trend that we've seen with them. So I don't know if this loss to Cleveland will be a wake-up call. Um, I don't think the Bills are going to lose this game. When you look at the three losses that we've had, they've been against teams that at some facet of their offense defense is better than Buffalo. But when you look at the Bills and how we match up against Miami, we beat them I think on paper on in every facet of the game, you know, points scored, uh, yards per game, rushing yards per game, passing yards per game. It sure didn't feel like it though. It seemed as though that I mean that that goal line stand in which uh, Jordan Phillips comes up with the sack and one play later, Tre'Davious White intercepts Ryan Fitzpatrick right there at the goal line. If not for that, who right, knows? which led to a 98-yard touchdown drive. Right, so that, instead of being down play, two scores. Yeah, that play not happening greatly affects the outcome of a game. 
And you can't just sit there and take away one play or add one play or say, well, this didn't happen. You know, if the, if the, if the Patriots didn't block the punt, the Bills might win that game. If, the, if Hauschka can make a field goal, then maybe we win that game. So now we only have lost one game. So you can't put all these hypotheticals, what could or should have happened. You know, the, the game played out the way that it did. The Bills won by 10, but they were a 17-point favorite, and they were down at halftime. They were down into the third quarter. Um, so, again, I feel like this Dolphins team it, it has a lot of fight in them. Uh, the Bills on the road have done really well in Miami. Um, so I, I definitely think the Bills are going to win the game. I just think from a line-making standpoint, that number's a bit high. What about the total? Uh, the, the, I feel like the Bills, the Bills have gone under seven of their last nine games uh, and six for six on their last six games on the road have gone under. Uh, Miami has gone, the total has gone under nine of their last 13 games when playing at home against Buffalo. Uh, the weather should be great, so it's, it's not a matter of, of wind or rain or snow. Um, so if I, if I were to bet this game with the total, I would probably lean towards the under, which is uh, you could get a 41 in town right now. But, uh, again, I'm not a huge total better. Um, but if anything, the, the signs would tell me to, that this is an under bet. Take Miami in the points and take the under. Joel Staniszewski tells you to bet your mortgage. <laughs> no? Right. No, definitely not. Well, I'm going to anyway because I'm a degenerate. Are you going to drive through Pennsylvania to I'm, get to yeah, Florida? Yeah, I'm going to fly out of Erie. All my upcoming road uh, trips, I'm going to fly out of Erie God. so I can make the bets and then collect when I land, when I return home. Maybe you'll have a connecting flight through New Jersey. That too. There's all, or Tennessee. We missed out on an opportunity. We didn't even know that there was mobile betting allowed in, uh, in Tennessee. When, so when the Bills played in Nashville, we... Totally missed out on, oh, yeah. on a more debauchery. Oh man, you gotta you gotta look ahead. You gotta figure this stuff we out. We were not prepared. Joel, thanks for joining us and uh, enlightening us uh, on the line from Vegas, as always. All right, thanks. All right, that was Joel Staniszewski on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Uh, I want to give my thanks to Joel Staniszewski and also to Sam Farmer of the LA Times, to Joe Lakata. Uh, of Timon and uh, giving us his thoughts on Josh Allen and uh, what's going on with the Bills passer and um, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic Jonah Bronstein of uh, Bronstein uh, Associates Bobby Rosati of da- uh, Knob Diddling Inc. This has been the Tim Graham Show brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner CPAs and business consultants. Check us next week, same time Wednesday, 4 to 6 p.m. on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.